you know, most, at least in like media, movies, I mean, you can always make the Nazis the bad guys, right? Make the Germans the bad guys. Uh, plenty of video games, movies, etc. Uh, that make, uh, make them that. And we can start thinking, oh yeah, all the Nazis were these really evil, uh, wicked people for going along with Hitler. Well, before World War II, before World War II, from the census data they have, approximately two-thirds of the German population would have identified as Protestant Christian. About another, th- another third uh, identified as, as Roman Catholic. And now there were a lot of uh, pastors and priests that were eventually killed for opposing Hitler and his practice is some uh, and I, I, you know, I do believe a lot of elements of the concentration camps were uh, probably hidden uh, from, uh, from a lot of the people. But think about it. How do you end up as a guard in one of these camps? Like, how do you get there, right? No one is like, hey, what do, I, what do you want to do for a living, right? Like, what job are you looking to do? Oh, I'd like to work at a camp where they kill people indiscriminately. You know, like, no one, but, but people ended up there. And a lot of people that a few years before the war, everyone would be like, well, that's a good person, right? It's not like the whole nation was full of a bunch of psychopaths, right? There was a lot of good people that had gone to church a lot. And uh, much of it started after, uh, much of the kind of, I feel like how they got here, uh, did start after uh, World War I. I know, what, what did we celebrate yesterday? What n- national holiday was yesterday? Veterans. Veterans Day. And do you know why November 11th is Veterans Day? Anyone? History? History? Anyone? Yes. Yes, that is correct. Uh, the end of hostilities in World War I uh, uh, happened on November, uh, November 11th. Now the Treaty of Versailles it took them a little time uh, to finally uh, sign that. Um, but the Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War I, made the Germans pay huge amounts of rep- reparations, right? They had to pay tons of money. Uh, they had to give up uh, some of their land to France, Poland, all their colonial territories. The reality is the Treaty of Versailles bankrupt and impoverished the country. And you had an entire nation of humiliated and broke uh, people. And what I, what I don't think a lot of people realize is the Nazi party came to power through democratic elections, right? Now, Hitler kind of then took those democratic elections and then was like, and eh, now I'm going to make myself king forever sort of thing um, or in charge, uh, in charge forever. And he was like, we need to sacrifice individual rights for the good of the state. Um, but he's, they came to power through democracy, right? And to their credit, they did bring an era of economic prosperity uh, to the Germans, right? But what happened is you had people that were down, broken, and humiliated. Someone is offering them like, hey, I'm going to lead you out of this. And a whole nation followed someone with some really sketchy character and some really bad morals to a place that they really regretted ending up going. They, they wanted power and money and pride. And to get that, they followed someone with bad character. And yes, I do think a lot of uh, Christian pastors and Catholic priests and many others died for their opposition, died to stand up 
for, uh, for what is right. But people follow what they think and who they think will get them what they want. But unfortunately, that leads to some really dark and some really bad places. Now, I, I do pray that you're not going to go out and indiscriminately kill a race of people just to get something that you want. But this is an important thing to consider as we are in our series on who are you following, right? Uh, as we've been in this, as we've been kind of in this in this series, going through the book of Judges, um, and uh, and we're and we're looking at who are you following. It is really important to consider who am I following to get the things that I want. Now, if I if you were to ask me what do, what do I think people really want, I think it comes down to three basic categories. I think are summarize what everyone wants. Uh, the first one is they want respect, and this. This is also would, would mean popularity, being cool, all that sort of stuff, right? Um, we, we want other people to look at us and be like, hey, for this reason or that reason, I respect this person. They are better than me, better than me at this, that, or the next thing. There are, they have value. And we want people to look at us this way. And there's a lot of ways we go about trying to get that respect. And but I think one of the ways is we see some influencer, some athlete, someone on, on TV, YouTube, whatever, right? And they say, or they dress a certain way, they have a certain shoes on, a certain style on, and you're like, they're cool, I want to be cool like them, let me dress, look, and talk like them, right? I mean, and this is how uh, all the influencers make their money, by promoing their different things, right? And they're like, hey, look at my new shoes. I'm getting paid a million dollars to wear these shoes, and now you all want to go and put them on, right? Um, but just think about the amount of money that we invest in looking a certain way, dressing uh, a certain way, because I'm following what some influencer said, this is, this is the right makeup trend or whatever. Um, it, it does always like, surprise me and shock me, right? When we're playing capture the flag in junior high, right? The number of students that are like, well, I have to take off my shoes to play capture the flag because I don't want to mess up my shoes, right? I don't, like this whole style of guys with really nice shoes, I don't get it, okay? That's not me. If that's how you want to roll, that's cool. But they just, it always shocks me. It's like, oh, I can't wear my shoes to play. don't want to mess my shoes up as we're playing the capture the flag. Anyway, um, you know, um, yeah, you know, and I would say this, in general about fashion, okay, and I understand you're, you're talking to someone who has no concept of fashion, and I understand that. You can do that. Uh, someone came in earlier today, said I was, my sweatshirt make, sweater makes me look like Freddy Krueger. I'm like, thanks. Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But, okay, one of the things I don't get about fashion, right, is I do think a lot of people sacrifice their comfort and what, what, it, what they would actually enjoy wearing for the sake of being fashionable, right? And I think there's a lot of us too that sacrifice uh, like even a level of modesty. It's like, I really, I, I just look at a lot of clothes. I'm like, that cannot be comfortable to wear, right? But, but you know what? It's what these celebrities, they're revealing all of that. So I need to go, I need to go there and, and do that too. This is what is perceived as popular. So let me do that too. I don't know. It doesn't look comfortable to me. I, 
Okay, and in guys' fashion, I do not get like all the like the really tight skinny jeans. I'm like, you can't even walk in that. You're like this, right? But then why is it fashionable? Why are people Okay, it's we're past skinny jeans? Okay, praise God we're past skinny jeans. Right? But like it's things like that, right? Both guys and girls, we're wearing this clothes, and you ask yourself, you're not wearing it because it's comfortable, right? And it's the same thing. I am following someone to get that respect, that popularity, that cool that I want. Another huge way I see people trying to get, uh, get this respect or popularity um, is we, we insult and we tear other people down. One of the best ways for me to get respect, to make you respected, is I want to tell everyone else how worthless you are, and that's going to make me feel better. I mean, guys do it. Guys are more direct about it. We just roast each other to their face. Uh, so you guys sit around. I've heard enough of it. We sit around and we roast each other and, and then we kind of laugh at it. But it's one of my ways to become cool. One of my ways to be popular is let's roast each other. Girls, girls actually, I feel like now are becoming more vocal about it and will roast a little more to their face. But mostly girls are just more like the, like, I don't say it to your face. I just get my other friend over here and say, isn't she so ugly or isn't she so bad? Can't she you believe she's wearing blah, blah, blah? You're more like behind the back uh, sort of thing. But that's, that is going after this. I want respect. I want popularity. And I want cool. And this is what I see other people do, doing to get it. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to try it too. Another thing I think when I look at what do people really want, it's belonging, a sense of community, friends, right? Um, I want to be, be a part of, of something. Um, and, and, you know, gangs prey on this, right? Um, young men and women who have no dads, no families, um, they're like, hey, you don't have a family, come be a part of our family. Well, you may need to like sell drugs to be part of our family, but, but they do a great job of loving the people and kind of making them feel like they belong, right? And so you end up doing things you wish you weren't, didn't have to do, but I do that to be part of that family. You know, uh, it was, I mean, really sobering uh, when we had the group from Reset 180 come and speak in the spring and talking about human trafficking. You know, that is one of the primary ways they get victims of human trafficking. They don't say, hey, I'm advertising a job as a prostitute. That's not what they do. They say, hey, I want to I I shower you with some special attention. I love you so much. You're so awesome. Hey, by the way, would you do these other favors for me? Like, they're preying on that desire for belonging, community, friends, and following some very poor choices. I mean, I mean, just, oh, it's the number of young ladies that I've talked to and they're just really ashamed of that they had sex with their boyfriend. And you're like, well, why did you do that? And they're like, well, he just, he kept saying, oh, don't you love me? You know, we're so close together. We care about each other. And like, it's that pressure to belong. And you end up doing something you really regret. Because that's what I want. That sense of belonging, that community, that friends. Last thing I, I would say when I think about what people want is, is this happiness. And it can take different forms, pleasure, entertainment, comfort, um, that my life uh, should just be easy and, and fun. Lots of different forms. 
Um, but again, I, I think you, you see this probably thrown at you from, from ads, buy this, uh, buy this drink and drink this, and, and you're going to be happy. I mean, this is what every beer ad is, right? Hey, you want to be happy? You know, I mean, they never, they never have like real pictures of what a lot of beer drinkers look like. But anyway, it's always young, athletic, good-looking people all around. Anyway, but it's buy this, drink this, and you will, you will, have, uh, you will have fun. I mean, all the car commercials uh, are, are, are throwing out this, this pleasure. You deserve it, entertainment, comfort. Um, that's, what that's what they are preying on. YouTube has all its algorithms. They know which, what is going to kind of keep you engaged, and they're just going to keep playing you that, you that stuff over and over and over again. And again, uh, I talked about a few weeks ago about our desires. And it's not that all our desires are bad, right? It's not wrong that you want to belong or be part of a community, that you want respect, that you, that even pleasure is not something that is inherently sinful, right? God created all of these things. It's not wrong that we have these desires, but really, as we're in this series, who are you following? My challenge to us today is who are we following to get these? When I look at my needs, my wants, the things that I really want, who am I willing to follow? Even if I'm like, yeah, that might not be the you know, best idea to follow them, but they can get me what I want. And again, uh, as we are going through, uh, as we're going through our series on judges, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Sterling talked about Gideon. Uh, and Gideon, even though he, he struggled at times uh, with, with his faith, uh, and, and like, hey, God, is this really going to work? God was just very gentle and kind, leading him to a place of great victory over the Midianites, uh, over, over the Midianites, and God's not, God, God wants to care for us uh, in, in that way. Today, we're talking a lot about the aftermath, though, of Gideon. What happens after he dies? And it's not really the greatest, greatest story, uh, but it goes with kind of our theme of Judges uh, I feel like every time I'm up talking about another judge, it's not like, oh, this is a judge who's really followed the Lord well and was so perfect. Um, but instead, uh, you know, we are in this downward spiral, whole downward spiral of the book of Judges um, and uh, this cycle. And it really just goes with our theme verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, again, what we're talking about today is not like, hey, this is a Bible example. You should follow this example. This is more of a don't do this um, uh, sort of thing. And, and here's kind of the key point uh, that you're going to hear uh, as we're looking at the aftermath of Gideon's life is this. If you follow people with questionable character, you will end up sacrificing more than you can imagine and never obtain what you think you want. Um, so that's where we're going to go today. Um, but before we do that, I want at your table to talk about these two questions. What do you think senior high students want more than anything else? And who or what do you see people following in order to get what they want? Got a couple minutes to your tables. Go. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. And then, then we're going to dive into God's word. Uh, dive into God's word together. Okay. Lord God in heaven. Um, God, I, I do, I, I thank you for your word and your truth that's in it, Lord God. And I, I just, I pray that today we would just really clearly see who we're following to try to get what we want, Lord. And God, that we would recognize that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for a sheep. 
and that we would choose to follow you, knowing that you are the one who just so truly cares for us. We love you, God, and I just, I know I need you to teach today, Lord. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, okay, so uh, again, we're talking about the aftermath of Gideon here. So Gideon had just led the nation of Israel to a huge victory uh, over Midian, who had oppressed them uh, for a long time. And this should be a time, a great celebration, and, and kind of in response, the people want to make Gideon king. And we read this in 822, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your sons and your grandsons also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Now, question is, well, why, why do they want him to be king? Well, honestly, if you kind of, you see this later uh, when Saul, uh, when they make Saul king, right? They want a king because they are tired of being pushed around by everyone else. They think a king is going to be their military leader uh, who's going who's to lead them out in battle, fight against all their enemies, and they won't have the same like, hey, we're going to be defeated. This is going to be, we're going to get pillaged and plundered again. Kind of much like, uh, much like the, the Germans after World War I, they were tired of getting bullied around, punched up. And so they're like, hey, if we have a king, that's what all the other nations have. We need one of those to fight for us and lead us. Uh, and so we stop getting bullied. Now, Gideon knows that, that that's, this would not be something that pleases the Lord. And he responds in verse 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my sons will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And so in this, Gideon does, Gideon does the right thing. Um, and, uh, and I kind of definitely respect Gideon uh, for this. But I think he, he gets that you really don't care that much about me particular. You just want security and power. And, and I don't think that I'm going to deliver in the way that you really think. Um, and it's going to cost you way more than you think and not get you what you want. And I, I do think Gideon kind of got our key point. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. But Gideon does, kind of in a selfish way, do this in verse 24. Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me an earring from the spoil. Now, the Midianite army, uh, you know, and a lot of people in that culture uh, and those armies would have all had uh, like a gold earring, right? And so when they, uh, or multiple, right? And so when they, um, when they defeated all them and they're going and kind of looting all the dead bodies, right? And they're going to take all the gold uh, off of them. There's going to be this pile of earrings and Gideon's like, hey, everyone, just give me, give me one of those earrings uh, that you got, right? And then he, he takes part of this plunder, uh, this, this money, and he turns it into an ephod, right? Which is, which is kind of a fancy way of saying he makes this like good luck chart. Um, and the whole, the whole nation of Israel kind of then says, oh man, this is Gideon's good luck charm. If we want to worship God, we need to come here. And it's a way, basically, Gideon takes it and, and makes some power for himself. He's like, I don't want to be your king, but I'm going to do this kind of roundabout way uh, that's going to get me, uh, get me the power, get me uh, the respect uh, that I want. And they don't go into full idolatry mode, but Gideon is definitely kind of like, eh, I don't want to be king, but give me some money. Um, 
And uh, as in the Judges cycle, we read this in Judges 28. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon, right? Kind of remember the whole Judges cycle, the people uh, turn away from the Lord, God brings an oppressor, some nation or group that's kind of oppressing them for a period of time. They finally cry out to God. God sends them uh, a judge to lead them some, through some great deliverance. Then they have a period of rest where they forget God again, and the cycle goes on and on. So we're kind of in a, in a little period uh, of peace, right? However, Gideon uh, left another pro- problem for the nation. Now, Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Okay? Gideon's got uh, 70 kids, um, 70 sons, not even including his daughters. Um, and again, while Gideon made the right call not to make, have himself as king, he doesn't set the nation up for uh, much success between the fake altar and 70 sons. Um, And again, I don't know why God chooses all the judges. He does choose, like, well, he already talked about Samson. I'm like, God, couldn't have found someone better. Um, But I do think God gives the nation of Israel leaders that that have the character of the nation. I think even in our nation today, we're like, oh, why do we have so many bad leaders elected? I'm like, well, I think that's actually more of a, more of a uh, reflection of our heart than it is of their hearts. And I think God is giving them a leader that really is a reflection of the nation, their, of their own heart, right? And so what we see as soon as, Abimel, uh, as, soon as Gideon dies, the people of Israel turn against Turn again and hoard after Baal and made Baal the earth their God. They ig- immediately ignore God. Um, it's kind of like they had, were just following God as long as Gideon was around. Now Gideon's gone, boom. This is what we wanted to do, but we haven't done it because Gideon's been around, right? It's kind of like the, the kid who was always kind of did the right thing, uh, and then he went off to college, right? And as soon as he uh, as soon as he went off to college, he's like, I've always wanted to party. Now my parents can't stop me from partying. I'm going to do some things I know I shouldn't do uh, as now that uh, my, I'm not living under my parents' uh, parents' roof. I also think probably uh, in this time, his 70 sons are all probably kind of like jockeying for power, like kind of who's going to take over the family, business, family, fortune, uh, and all that. You probably have some infighting between them and so this happens in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 sons of Jerubbabel rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Abimelech basically uh, is, is going like, you know what, guys? If all these 70 sons are around, there's going to be a lot of shared power. And we don't know. They're probably not going to be really strong enough to defeat an enemy. So that could be bad for you. And, and they live in a whole other city. And so you, we're not going to really have that much power here. So if you want power and security, you should make me king. And what happens is he gets the men of Shechem to give him some money. And he goes and hires, uh, hires a thug army and they go and kill 
all of the other 70, all of his 70 brothers, except for one. There's one guy who escapes. So if there's 70 of them, uh, there's one, he's one, one escapes. So he kills 68 uh, of his brothers, right? And um, well, let's be honest. If you've got a guy that comes to you and is like, yo, you want power. You don't want to be messed with. You don't want to get bullied. Give me money. I'm going to go kill a bunch of people. What does that say about his character? If he's, especially if he's willing to kill all of his brothers, right? And I know they're probably half-brothers. But he's like a seriously questionable character dude. But the people are like, hmm. We can go with a questionable character, but look, we get money. We get power out of it. That sounds like a good idea. I mean, again, this is exactly what the Germans, uh, Germans did. This is what they're going to do uh, when they make Saul king. Um, and, uh, and so they give him the money. He goes and he kills all these brothers except for one. That one brother, there's a whole passage where he kind of calls him out and, and puts a curse uh, upon him. But they make of him a king, and he's king for three years. And they do get some level of prosperity for these uh, for this period uh, of three of three years, however, you can you know you're smart enough to realize when you get someone with questionable character like this, there's going to be some infighting, and that's exactly uh, what happens here. Um, another guy comes into Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem put uh, wait a second. oh put men in ambush against him. This is against someone else on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. Basically, the people of Shechem are like, we're not getting enough money. Let's go rob some other people. Now, we've put a questionable guy in charge anyway, so what's, what's the big deal? Adding some robbery to it. So you go rob some people, and Abimelech's like, dude, why are you guys robbing these other people that we're supposed, I'm supposed to be protecting? And Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put, their con- put confidence in him. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubal, the son of Zu- and is not Zubal his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, and the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Who uh, would that, this people under my hand? Then I would remove Abimelech, I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Basically, uh, this Ebed guy gets drunk one day and in a kind of his drunken like thing, he kind of makes all these boasts about how he's way, way stronger and better than Abimelech. You should put me in charge, not Abimelech. Well, one of Abimelech's lieutenants hears about it and tells Abimelech about it. And Abimelech is like, okay, let's go, bro. And he brings his whole army to attack uh, and they besiege Shechem and uh, figured I need to bring back some brick testament here. And Ebed is, is talking, uh, or this is his lieutenant, is talking to Ebed, and was like, yo, where's your, where's your boasting now? You said you were going to fight them. And he's like, okay, well, uh, I guess I have to fight them. But what do you know? They get slaughtered. Abimelech slaughters all of them. And, uh, and then what they do, they're all kind of holed up in this tower in the center of town. And it says, so every one of the people, these are Abimelech's people, cut down his bundle, some wood, some sticks, and following Abimelech, put it at the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people in the Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. They burn the tower and kill all the people in it. Um, Great character guy, right? But, you know, they followed a sketchy guy to get what they thought they wanted, 
This is how it ends for him. Um, and then, uh, Shech, uh, excuse me, then Abimelech, uh, there's another town that's kind of revolting against his rule, so he's going to go burn that town down, do the same thing. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew uh, at the door of the tower and to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone, that's how they would grind wheat, this big, big rock, uh, threw it uh, on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. Um, he's crushed, he died, thus God returned the evil on, of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. Here's the point. This town of Shechem wants security and wealth. The nation of Israel wants security, wants wealth. They're tired of being bullied. And what do they do? They keep following different leaders with really questionable character, because they think, oh, this is going to get me what I want. What ends up happening? All the people of Shechem end up burnt and dead. Shechem, uh, excuse me, Abimelech dies. Everyone dies. That's their end result. Because going back to our key point for the day, if you follow people with questionable character, you will end up sacrificing more than you can imagine and never obtain what you think you want. They wanted peace. They wanted security. They got it for a couple of years. But what's the end result? And this is the end result of following people with questionable character. Okay, at your tables, two questions for you. Why do you think the Israelites were willing to follow with someone with questionable character? And where do you see people today following people with questionable character to get what they think they want? Got uh, three minutes to your tables, go. I don't know if... Uh, I feel like the, this is somewhat gone a little bit out of... Uh, out of style right now. Um, but I, I, I know anywhere, anywhere leaders here on, uh, over the age of 30 have to have had this happen to them at least once. Um, you get a call from someone you haven't talked to in, in a couple years, three, four years, right? And they start off like, or they, they DM you and Facebook or something else or social media. Um, and they start off try, trying to talk like friendly and like reconnect, and you're like, oh, hey, this person genuinely, genuinely cares, uh, cares about me. And you're like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's been good reconnecting with someone I haven't talked to in, in, a, in a couple years, right? And then, then they always have their transition, where they're like, hey, by the way, you know, I've gotten into some, some of this new business recently, and it's, and it's been really cool, and I'd be curious if you're interested in it. And, and they've got their multi-level marketing scheme, um, that, that, that they have. And it always sounds really good. You know, all these people are making all this big money and you can get in on it with me too. But realistically, the way you make money in any multi-level marketing scheme is getting your friends to buy in. And so really, you're just asking money from your friends, okay? Um, and anyway, point being, they fake an interest in actually caring about you in order to get something from you, right? Multi-level marketing schemes, you basically are like, let me figure out ways to exploit my friends. That's, that's, what, that's what they are, okay? Just being, being, being real here, okay? Um, and by the chuckles I got from some of the people here, uh, a little older, we, you've gotten a lot of those calls. Um, but you know, it's that, it's that faked friendship, right, to get something from you. 
And that is something I, I think you, I see so much in our society today, right? Look at like YouTube streamers, right? Or Twitch streamers, pick your stream, pick your streamer, okay? First of all, a lot of them that are the most popular are the ones that are best at like roasting other people, right? They've got to be good at, they, like they're, they're, they're like, they're, they're talking, they're just talk about how they roast other people. And then they always say, um, you know, when you're in your, their chat and you write something like, oh, I love my community. Thank you, community. You're awesome community. And they always like want to make it sound like you're like this big community. Do they really care? No, they want you to hit like and subscribe and, you know, give them your Twitch or your Prime sub, right? That's what they want, right? They're, they like feign this, like, we really care about our community. If you are really going through something, you're one of like a thousand names that pop up on their stream feed, right? They don't care about you. It's about how do I get money? And I mean, if you look at most of the, the courses on how to become a successful streamer, it's all about how do you develop the community and make people think like they think that they matter, but you really actually don't care about them, okay? Um, and and I, know that, I know that's a cynical statement there, but I think that's something you all see. And you all see as true that there are lots of people out there that fake a care, but it's really for something about them. And what are we doing following them? Um, wh- you know, what are we sacrificing to follow uh, them? I mean, in, in school, I don't know what this, the cool crowd is like in your high school, um, but I, I distinctly remember the cool crowd uh, in my high school. Um, and they were definitely the ones that were the best at like roasting other people. Um, and, and people wanted to, be, wanted to be included in the cool crowd, right? So how did you become part of the cool crowd? You needed to roast other people or dress a certain way. You needed to follow and do what they did. If you participated in the activities that they participated in, you did what they did, you uh, whether that was the substances they did, whether that was the roasting they did, the dress the way they did, you followed them in order to be, uh, to be cool. Now, did they really care about the other people? No. Um, yeah, bluntly, I think about the cool, crowd in, the cool crowd in my high school. They were all the biggest jerks in my school. And yet everyone thought they were the cool people. Everyone's like, I want, to be, I want to be part of their crew, even though they were jerks. And my point is, when we really evaluate the people we're following, right? Do they care about you? When you look at that ad on YouTube, the person who made that ad actually care about what's best for you? Are they really out there like, hey, this, this product is going to change people's lives, man, and I need to tell people about it because it's such a good product that I need to have. No, they just want your money. They don't care about you. All of these influences that we get in our lives, right? All of the, all of the influencers on social media, right? They don't care about you. They need more likes, more followers, because that's more ad revenue for them. And the voices that we are allowing in our heads are not voices of anyone who cares about your future. They're voices of people who want your money, 
who want respect for themselves, right? They're about what can I get from these people? I do think we really need to seriously considering what are the influences in our lives? What are the voices that I am listening to? Who am I following? And does that person I'm following actually give any rip about me? Because so many of the voices in our world don't care about us. But I'm still listening to them. I'm following them. And what's the end result of following people with questionable characters? I don't get what I want. It costs way more than I ever think it will. I contrast that with Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. In John 10, ooh, I gotta turn this back on. Um, in, here we go. John 10, Jesus is speaking and he's giving this analogy about how he is a good shepherd in our lives, how, he's, how we are his sheep and he's kind of the shepherd caring for us. And he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. And that's Satan. That is Satan's goal to steal, kill, and destroy. And a ton of the influences that we are listening to, that is their goal, steal, kill, and destroy. It says of Jesus, I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. That's his desire for you and me, that we would have life. You know, going back to the three things that people want, right? Respect. God says, I designed you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator of this creator of the universe before the foundational world. I chose you. I have a love and a care for you. I have given you a respect by the way that I made you. I ask you and I, I've commanded you to reign and to rule. That's his desire for us. Talk about a respect that he gives us. He wants us to lead. He wants us to have that, right? That is something he is already giving us. Talk about that desire for, for community or, or for belonging. Again, God chose to die for you. He's already accepted you. He knows everything I have ever done wrong and he still cares for me in a, in a deep and an intimate way. I mean, how crazy is that? How, belo- how much belonging is that, right? Jesus says, he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says the church should be the most welcoming group of people ever because we have been loved by a God and a creator who cares so intimately for us. And because of that, man, I have an intimate and deep care for the people around us, right? That's what he, that's what God is saying. Man, I'm already giving you these things, right? And the last thing, uh, happiness or, or, or pleasure, right? God, God says there's an inner joy and a peace that comes from comes from knowing him. My times of greatest peace, my times of greatest joy are with my Lord and my God and not in anything this world can offer me. And why do I listen to him? What about his character do I know? As this passage continues, Jesus says, um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, so many other people are saying, what can I get out of you? What can you give me? The God of the universe cared so much about you and he cares so much about me that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a perfect life and to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. My sin had made a separation between me and God. But God sent Jesus to die for me. He has laid down his life for me. 
He's not saying, what can I get out of these people? He's already giving something to each of us. And that is why I can trust his good character. When I put my faith in him and what he has done for me, my sins, past, present, and future are paid for. I have a relationship with God now, and I'm going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. I mean, he has so richly and crazily blessed me. It's amazing. It's awesome. He is the giver because he's the giver. I pray that we would all trust him, trust that he has already given us a respect. He's already given us a sense of belonging. He has already given us in the, in the Holy Spirit the joy, the pleasure, and the peace of life. Questionable character. You're following that. You end up sacrificing more than you can ever imagine and never obtain what you really want. But instead, will I follow the one who willingly gave up his life so that I could have life. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, oh Lord, I am so grateful for the life that you have given us, Lord. The fact that you would send your son to die for us, Lord, that that is just, you are so good to us, Lord. And we thank you for that. And because you have such a good character, God, may we trust you today. May we obey you today. May we follow you today and honor you in that, Lord. We love you and are grateful for you. In your son's name we pray.